Welcome to the Nolan Podcast from National Oil and Lube News. I'm your host, Associate Editor Hannah Bubser. September is always an exciting time of year for Nolan because it's the month that our Operator of the Year issue arrives in mailboxes. In fact, you may have already received your copy or have looked through the digital edition on our website. This year, Costa Capothanassis took home the 2023 Nolan Operator of the Year title. Today, Costa joins me on the podcast to talk about Costa Oil 10-minute oil change and his perspective as an operator. Well, thank you for joining me today on the podcast um, and congratulations on being Nolan Operator of the Year for 2023. Uh, we featured you in Nolan in the past and this month of, of September, you're going to be awarded as our Operator of the Year, as I mentioned. But for listeners who maybe don't know, could you give a quick introduction about yourself and about Costa Oil? Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. And it's always good to talk to you guys at the magazine. Um, couldn't have gotten this without some of the people you guys have introduced me to. So I appreciate it. Uh, my name is Costa Capthanasis. I am the founder and CEO of Costa Oil 10 Minute Oil Change. Uh, we are a Pennsylvania based uh, oil change franchise that puts an emphasis on the oil change only uh, style of business. And we try to stick to that as our North Star as much as possible. And that has led us to some great expansion and it has led us to selling quite a few franchise units because the model seems to resonate with uh, the franchisees we've brought into our system. Uh, we started off with one location in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania and expanded out as far as Mesa, Arizona. And we have a uh, hundred plus units that will be open over the next three years. And we're hoping to carve out our space so that uh, we will be here for a long time to come. So let's talk a little bit more about that oil change only model that you mentioned and that Costa Oil 10 minute oil change follows. Um, can you explain what went into this decision to model this oil change only structure? Yeah, so it, our industry traditionally has been quick lube and quick lube plus, but I think we've deviated pretty far from that to now being the the quick lube the of yesterday is really quick lube plus, and the quick lube plus of yesterday is really just full service repair shops at this point. And so I, I believe that there's very few players in the space that really stick to an oil change only model for for whatever reason. Um, I, I have always thought that uh, based on the feedback I've gotten from the consumer that they want a no frills oil change experience. And so we've let that, like I said, I, I use the term North Star. We have all decisions kind of flow downstream from that premise. And, uh, and we really want to focus on delivering a fast oil change that uh, has no frills. And we use uh, Baytime as a main KPI and uh, which is just key performance indicators. So we really rely on car count and uh, throughput. And so uh, it's what I think our industry was founded on. I think we've gotten away from it and it's worked really well for us. And so I think we'll continue uh, to do this as long as it shows to be what the consumer wants. 
And you alluded to this a little bit in your first answer um, to the question that I asked at the beginning of our conversation just about Costa Oil, but you opened up Costa Oil to franchising. So what has that journey been like so far? And what are some of your goals with this franchise network that you're building? Yeah, thanks for that question. It's an important one because the the dynamics of our space are really how we got to where we are. I never intended on franchising. I originally uh, kind of saw myself as opening up corporate locations as a majority of our units, and we're about to actually surpass uh, corporate locations with franchise locations. And uh, and and really, what it was for me was. I saw some of the renewals of the legacy oil change brands. And for everyone listening to this podcast, for the most part, knows that we utilize special use buildings. And some of the strengths of our system has always been negotiating favorable rents that allow us to get it out of that ramp up period that is inherent to the automotive industry. And so really putting a focus on mitigating ramp up was important. And that stemmed from having favorable rents, especially in the early periods. And so I uh, saw those franchise renewals of some of the legacy brands, uh, especially the 20-year renewals in 2020. I thought that a lot more of these facilities would become available and I would be able to uh, just pick up locations left and right from the the legacy franchisees, either non-renewals or shutting down. And so that's actually exactly what happened. There was a large... Uh, decrease in the footprint of one of our largest competitors. And a lot of facilities did become available. But what I did miscalculate was the landlord's taste for not having large rents that they had become accustomed to over the years. Um, Obviously, in the late 90s, early 2000s, kind of what I think a lot of people in our space refer to as the heyday of the quick loop space when oil change intervals were 2,000 miles, 3,000 miles, plus you were only carrying you know, 10.30 and 5.30. It was a much simpler business model than to them. Uh, I can test that it's still simple if you want it to be. You just need to put the pieces in place to make it that way. But, um, you know, these landlords that had had traditionally gotten high car counts, whether it's 60, 70, 80 cars a day, and they were getting, you know, $10,000 a month rents, they were not uh, ready to step away from that. And they were more willing to sit on the properties until either a a new use was available. And so at that point, I I thought to myself, okay, well, if I'm not going to be able to expand by going into these places, because I'm not going to hastily accept a a large lease, that's what I think got a lot of people in our space in trouble in the first place. um, Well, then we're going to have to figure something else out. And so what it came down to was figuring out a way to mitigate building costs, figuring out a way to mitigate, uh, conversion costs and finding leases that allow for a franchisee to, and and it was at that point where I was like, okay, we're going to have to look at the franchise model to expand, to accomplish what we want to accomplish, which is, you know, a national brand that is synonymous with fast oil change. And so um, we, we did look at franchising at that point only after we had nailed down what I think is the, the most efficient quick loop building in our space and able to do it at a fraction of the cost of what our competitors are building quick loop buildings for. And so once we had that nailed down, we launched as a franchise, started telling our story, and we really uh, took 
off from there. So something that goes into that efficiency, as you've already spoken about a bit, is bay times, uh, keeping track of that aspect of the business. Are there any other KPIs or elements of, of daily operations that you really keep a close eye on um, in your business model that you think helps with that efficiency standard that you have set for cost oil? Yeah, our, our main KPIs are bay time, car count, and ticket average. We don't want to put a huge ticket average emphasis, especially during ramp up period. Um, this is something that we discuss at length with our franchisees. If someone's ticket average starts getting too high, we actually will take a closer look at it because you don't want to uh, bleed your initial customers dry. The, the LTV of our customers is extremely important to us. I wouldn't say it's a main KPI, but it's something that we look at and that's just lifetime value. So, you know, we, we operate under the premise that we'll give up $10 today to make $1,000 over the next XYZ years. And so deferred gratification is an important part of this model. We know that there's a ramp up period. We know that it's an interval based business. And so it's important to understand that we cannot uh, milk these customers in the initial period or else they're just not going to come back. And so uh, if we are going to be as efficient as possible, whether it's our labor uh, model, which I would contend uh, it's, it's, not a KPI, our labor hours, but I would contend that our labor model is one of the more important factors in our business model and how we're able to have success because we've created a proprietary flow chart that allows us to do high volumes of cars with less employees. Um, that's kind of been a stigma in our space when you go to some of these other quick loops that have two guys actually doing the work and three guys standing around throwing the football and you know, smoking cigarettes. That's a stigma on our industry that we have had to overcome. And we've done that by creating these efficiencies in our model uh, through staffing, through carrying the SKUs that we carry, by having the relationships with the vendors that we have, and by partnering with people who buy into that model. Something that you and I have spoken about before in past interviews has been around the idea of people in your business and the relationship aspect uh, among your team. Can you talk a little bit about why the, the people are so important to Costa Oil and your approach to the business? Yeah, it, that's a great question. And it's so funny. I was reading a, a article from Nolan in like 2008. I had come across some PDF I found online and it was an operator that was complaining that nobody wants to work anymore. And I'm like, people have been saying this. Everyone wants to pretend that their generation is somehow different from the prior generation. And we hear a lot about complaining about Gen Z and millennials, et cetera. And uh, and, and it's kind of if, you, if you're a student of history, you know that it's just repeating itself and everyone likes to think they're different. And it is no different. We are in the people business, not only customer wise, but but your staff. And I think what a lot of people are learning right now is that it's much less expensive to retain employees rather than to constantly have churn. And so for us, developing relationships with our employees, understanding what makes them tick. And I think what you might have been alluding to is the example I gave is my manager in Pittsburgh who um, 
who's worked for me for eight years come January 10th. He'll have worked for me for eight years. Um, you know, he's a big Pittsburgh Penguins fan. And rather than give him some, you know, blank Amazon gift card that doesn't really have any meaning behind it, I buy him him and his wife Pittsburgh Penguins tickets a couple times a year. And that's going to be way more endearing to him. And it takes 10 seconds to find out what makes your employees tick. And, uh, you know, some some of our competitors might say that the soft skill side of it uh, is a little bit overrated. And, and I think that taking a transactional approach to this business only makes sense if you've got such an established volume that you're OK with, you know, withering away from attrition. But I truly think that over time, those businesses are eventually going to fail um, because when it is a transactional relationship, then people will leave you for price and as our costs start to get more expensive as labor costs get more expensive because they're not getting less expensive it's just going to be that much more difficult for those competitors who kind of poo-poo the soft skills uh to compete and so for us the the key word and it's in our core values is uh kindness and it seems very common sense but i think that a lot of people uh go about their business and don't understand how being kind can go a long way. And so we'll literally implement that into our job postings, whether it's on Indeed or ZipRecruiter in the, in the title line, it'll say looking for kind people. Um, and it's not meant to be trite or cliche. It's meant to be very literal. We want people who are okay with confrontation because you know, there has been a stigma in this space where people come in white knuckled at the steering wheel, ready to do battle, ready to turn down extra services. And, you know, for us, the the long game is to establish that, hey, we're not here to sell you other services. In fact, we're going to refer you to someone for something if we truly feel you need it. And that kind of credibility and relationship building is what's going to give us that LTV, uh, that lifetime value that we need. What about what motivates you to to work in this industry? What do you wake up every morning excited about to work on with Costa Oil? When I first started the business, I was I was 24 years old. And so then it was 100% about not having to work for someone else. And so that's what drove me every single day was I wanted this thing to work so that I didn't have to have a boss. And then it, as the company evolved and turned into something much larger than I, even though my name is on the door, um, which wasn't really of my choosing, um, but it is, it is on the door. And so there is that added level of self-accountability there. Uh, I, I, it became much larger than myself, especially since my, my first employee from Harrisburg in 2014, he still works for me. Uh, my, my manager from my third store, my fourth store, they still work for me. We're talking about people who for the past 10, eight, nine, seven years have relied on me steering this in the right direction. Um, and then franchising adds a whole nother level of accountability. Um, you know, the, so after I got over that hump of, okay, I'm, I'm going to be self-employed, this thing works. Then it became about, what does the consumer want? And we've always been a consumer driven business. And so that has parlayed into the franchisees. Um, and so it's really a, it's a two pronged answer because you have the employee side of it, which I mentioned first, and then the, the consumer side of it, which bled into the, the franchising because 
most of our franchisees, they, they themselves were looking for a service that we were providing, which is why the brand resonated with them so much. And there are always some challenges going on across the aftermarket. Um, I know you mentioned a little bit earlier, labor, for example. Um, what are, what's your response to some of these persistent challenges, such as labor, you know, finding talent, um, recovery from COVID, all of these things that are kind of simultaneously going on. How do you respond to some of those challenges? Yeah, it's it's always something new. I mean, in the beginning, uh, there if some some people might remember, we had a, a lumber crisis, and and everyone learned the phrase supply chain for the first time over the past couple of years. And you know, just yesterday, actually, ironically enough, you mentioned COVID. One of our franchisees on our Slack channel said, uh, "You know, are we do we close down if there are more shutdowns?" And I was like, "My goodness, I can't imagine." going through 2020 again, but if it did happen, we don't have to shut down because we're classified as essential. Um, but so on a day-to-day basis, just being present is the best thing you can do because you have to adapt to things. The whole business is fluid because when you get up to, you know, 50 plus employees, 50 plus franchisees, then it becomes just a probability that something's going to come up every single day. Uh, if every if one person has a problem in your organization uh, once a year, that means that a third of your days are going to have a problem and you need to be able to react to them regardless of what it is. And so I think the answer is just stay present, uh, pay attention to what's going on so that you can have answers and and maintain credibility. The The worst thing you can do is lose touch with whether it's the 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 loop tech in the pit or a franchisee who's been in the real estate process for a while and doesn't see a light at the end of the tunnel to getting open. Um, you just need to make sure you're present and, um, and, and making sure everyone's knows that you will, if you don't know the answer, you're at least going to try your hardest to go find it for them. And talking big picture here, looking down the line, several years down the line. What are some of your big goals for Costa Oil? What do you want things to look look like um, a little bit further into the future here? I, I, I have the big picture in mind. I don't think about it on a day-to-day basis because, uh, because of your last question, actually, because we want to tackle our problems on a day-to-day basis, but while also keeping in mind the big picture. Uh, but at the end of the day, like our goal is to be synonymous with fast oil change. And when we, when we do our discovery day, which is the day that people come from around the country to listen to us, tell our story and consider us as a franchise, the first exercise that we do as a group to get everyone talking is I go around the room and I, and I say, uh, I say two words, I say fast food. And then I point and I, and I say, what comes, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? And uh, for the longest time in the beginning, you know, nine out of 10 answers would be McDonald's. And then I'd say over the last 10 months, it's been 50-50 Chick-fil-A and McDonald's. And then even more recently, the last couple raising canes has all of a sudden been something that's at the top of people's mind. And so the reason I do that exercise is I tell everyone in that room that no matter how large of a brand you are, 
you can shift top of mind brand awareness. And so if we execute on our goals, if we do what we say we're going to do and we can scale to the size that we want to scale to, we can become synonymous with fast oil change, regardless of who is in the space before us and who has a head start and who has a 40 year head start and the 20 year head start, because it's especially with the electric vehicles penetrating the market, there's not going to be a huge tolerance for uh, some of the other models that are out there, in my opinion. And um, and that's what we're basing our business model on, is my opinion, largely, uh, backed by the research that I do and what I see and talking to my customers and seeing what their needs and wants are. And so I think that there's a, uh, to, to directly answer your question, I think when electric vehicles go from being a minority to a majority uh, use in this country, there's still going to be a large amount of ICE engines on the road. There's no way around that. There's 350 million uh, registered ICE engines on the road today. The average life of a car is longer than ever. Most of these cars are now being financed out to unbelievable terms, which means that there's a 10 to 15 year run rate every single year that you know those cars are being sold. So there's going to be a market for a long time, but will the market still want a quick lube plus? That's the question. And we don't want to be quick loop plus because we want to be synonymous with fast oil change only. And if people know they're going to come to us and, and the Chick-fil-A analogy is perfect because if people go to, you know, some of those other brands where there's a long line, they might not just not get in the line because they know that it's not going to be efficient. But if someone goes to a Chick-fil-A and there's a huge line, they'll get in the line anyway because they know how that business operates. And so if we can captivate that top of mind brand awareness and get synonymous with fast oil change, people will stay in the queue regardless of if there's three or four cars in front of you because they know the only thing in front of them is an oil change. They don't have to worry about someone's brakes being done. They don't have to worry about someone's tires being done. You know, the vast majority of oil change facilities are two bay facilities because that's how the infrastructure was built. The newer buildings are four, five, six bays. They might have dedicated bays for other things, but that is what makes them quick lube plus plus, you know, that much, that's what makes them basically another auto repair shop, in my opinion. So um, that's where we want to be. We want to try to capture the top of mind brand awareness so that we can have a larger share of the smaller pie when that day comes. Thanks for listening to the Nolan Podcast from National Oil and Lube News. For more content, visit our website at nolan.net or follow us on social media. Just search for National Oil and Lube News. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure that you never miss another. Subscribe to the Nolan Podcast wherever you listen. I'm Associate Editor Hannah Bubser, and I'll talk to you more next time. Mm-hmm.